we have some new members to welcome to the body. So I want to invite them to come on up. Join me up here. Those folks who have just completed the membership class, come on up. Uh, while they're coming, let me just describe to you what, uh, what has just transpired with them. We did a 10-week membership class as a growth group, and uh, we looked at the, the mission and the vision and the values of the Bridge Church, and uh, I was uh, joined in this by uh, Kevin Keppen. He team taught it with me, and he uh, brought them through a shape inventory, considering spiritual gift, heart, abilities, personality, experience. So by the time they were done, they not only knew about the Bridge Church and its doctrine and its mission and its purpose, but also about themselves in a deeper way so that they could fit into the body, find a great place of service that's a great fit for them. So all have shared their faith story. All have been interviewed by the elders, and they stand before you having been approved as new members of the Bridge Church. Let me introduce them to you. Mark and Jennifer Bohannon, right here. Uh, Steve and Lydia Eckenstead, right here. Uh, Kevin Scheid and his wife, Kate Liu. And uh, Irvin and Ruth Whitmer, who you've heard from earlier. And then uh, Nate and Rita York. So uh, we are, are glad to welcome you. Let me ask you a few questions, and uh, just a clue, the correct answer is yes. Um, so... Do you confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and do you desire to follow him in pursuing full devotion to Christ? If you do, answer, say, I do. Do you declare your intentions to live in harmony with the mission, vision, core values, and statement of faith of the Bridge Church? If that is your desire, say, I do. Do you commit to pursuing personal spiritual growth and practicing love for one another in your church family. If that's your desire, please say, I do. And then last, do you promise to support the Bridge Church by your faithful attendance, by serving in ministry, and by giving graciously, generously as God has prospered you? If that is your desire, please say, I do. The Apostle Paul told the Romans, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That word uh, translated accept one another implies welcome. And it literally means to reach out and to grab a hand and to draw in. It's a great picture of what we can do to welcome these new members to the body. So congregation, would you please stand? Let me ask you a question as well. Do you commit yourselves to reaching out to these new members of the body, making room for them, encouraging them in their faith, and seeking opportunities to help them grow into fully devoted followers of Christ. If that is your intent, would you please say, we do. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these who've gone through the membership class and who've expressed their desire to be a part of this body and be a part of this work that you are doing here in Eau Claire. And so, Father, I pray your blessing on each one of them. And as the rest of us welcome them, I pray that they would feel the welcome and that we would help them not only to find a place of, of service in the body, but also help them to grow spiritually um, themselves. And so help us to set an example for them in those things 
and help us to make room for them and welcome them warmly into the body of Christ here at the bridge. We ask your blessing on this church as we move forward together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Paul also wrote in that same book, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Thank you, and welcome to the body. time to um, uh, dismiss the bridge kids, so glad to have you here with us this morning, and so uh, go and learn more about Jesus. My family and I took a vacation uh, to Lake Superior a few years back, and we went all the way around Lake Superior, camping along the way, and we were particularly interested in the lighthouses of Lake Superior. We learned that each one of them had its own unique signal, how many times per minute it went uh, and shone its light. And navigators would study those beacons so that they would recognize them, so that they would know which one they were looking at so that they could arrive safely at their destination. In this slide uh, here, I, I counted 54 lighthouses around Lake Superior, each one with its own unique signal. And uh, the navigators needed to know which was which in order to get safely to their destination. So they studied in our scripture passage today, we're told about some men who were guided by light as well. And these men studied also, but they were studying the stars and the planets, and they were guided then by those things to the place where Jesus was born. We're going to look at the Magi this morning, and we're going to look at what it was that guided them, and I think we're going to find reason to be amazed at the character of God that shines through this passage. We're looking at Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses. If you need a Bible, uh, just signal one of these guys here coming down the aisle, and uh, they'll be glad to give you one. And uh, so we're in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and in this Bridge Bible, it's on page 676. Page 676. Let's take a look at it together. Matthew writes, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. 
When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, he went on, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. There are a few questions that I'd like to raise and answer here this morning relative to this passage of Scripture. And the first is, who were the Magi? Who were these guys? The word magi shares a common root with our word magic. And so you might call them magicians in the sense of the legendary Merlin the Magician in the legend of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Merlin in that story was a scientist and a close advisor to the king. The best translation for the word is probably court astrologers. They probably served as advisors, making forecasts and predictions for their king based on their study of the stars. And they knew a lot about the stars and the planets. We think of them living in a day when people thought the earth was flat. Uh, but to the contrary, predictions from men like this about a conjunction of planets and stars that would occur around the time of Jesus' birth were made 400 years earlier and were off only by a few days. That's pretty accurate. So likely, the Magi were influential and respected men in the service of the government of Persia. Now you may be wondering what connection is there between Persia and Israel? Well, it's a good question. It began with the Babylonian captivity. When the Babylonians came in and conquered the kingdom of Judah in 586 B.C. and took the brightest and the best to Babylon. Um, one of those leaders that they took to Babylon was a young man named Daniel. And we read about him in the book that bears his name. And so Daniel was found to be able to interpret a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and because of that, he was given authority in the Babylonian government. But the Babylonian Empire wouldn't last forever. It uh, was succeeded on the world scene by the Medo-Persian Empire, and one of their rulers, a man named Cyrus, would be the one who would allow the Jews to go back out of the Babylonian captivity to their land. 
The Roman Empire then would come to dominate the world after the Medo-Persian Empire. And that's when these magi in Matthew chapter 2 lived. They lived in the land of Persia. Daniel's writings would be familiar to them. So now, some 500 years after Daniel, the Magi were studying the written resources they had, including the book of Daniel, as well as the stars. From the writings of Daniel, they knew a king would be born who would break the power of Rome that extended now over the Jews and over the Persians. They would know that from Daniel chapter 2. The Magi searched the heavens looking for signs of that king's coming. And they found something that caused them to travel to Jerusalem. And, and that is uh, what, what we see in verse 1, uh, this first sighting of the star and then eventually to Bethlehem at the second sighting that we read about in verses 9 through 11. Now, there's some confusion about timing. When did they get to Bethlehem? We've all seen manger scenes that shows everybody coming at the same time. Angels and shepherds and, and magi and little drummer boy and all this stuff, Right? Not likely. We know that the angels went back into heaven right after they scared the wits out of the shepherds. That the shepherds went to Bethlehem and saw the baby in the manger and then returned from there to their third shift job on the sheep farm. The Bible shows the magi coming not to a stable, but to a house. Verse 11. They didn't come to see an infant on the night of his birth, but to see a child. Again, verse 11, it's a different word than infant. It, it means a child or a toddler. And when Herod ordered the slaughter of the boys in Bethlehem in verse 16, he included all boys two years of age and younger. So the Magi came after the birth, sometime later, having seen the star of Bethlehem, having been guided by it from their home country of Persia, having traveled to Jerusalem. And by the way, uh, Jerusalem to Babylon is about 500 miles as the crow flies, but uh, you don't go the way the crow flies. It would take, uh, you'd have to go 900 miles to get from Babylon to Jerusalem. And in the book of Ezra, it took Ezra four months to travel that distance. So some significant time has elapsed. So they travel to Jerusalem, they meet Herod, and then they travel on to Bethlehem where they see Jesus and worship him and present him their gifts. Their motivation in coming may have been to respond to these kingly signs they saw in the heavens and pay homage to this king on behalf of their government. Maybe even to offer him a kingship in their own country. But his kingdom was not to be of this world. 
And that brings us to our second question. What was it they saw? What was the star of Bethlehem? Was it a single star? Was it a group of stars that came close together? Was it a supernova, the explosion of a star? Was it a comet? There have been a lot of suggestions about what the star of Bethlehem was. But one of them stands out in particular. It comes from a Dr. Craig Chester, the co-founder of the Monterey Institute for Research in Astronomy. Now, pay close attention. There will be a test at the end of the service. Here, here we go. One of the questions we faced was exactly when Jesus was born. Since the calendar that divides B.C. and A.D., before Christ and Anno Domini, B.C. and A.D., since that calendar was created by a Roman monk in the year 525 A.D., and he also left out the year zero. So there's been some confusion then about dates around that time. When you add everything up, you get a date for Jesus' birth between what we now know of as 4 B.C. and 1 B.C. In the years 3 B.C. and 2 B.C., there was a series of close conjunctions involving Jupiter, the planet associated with kingship, with coronations, and with the birth of kings. In Hebrew, uh, Jupiter is known as Sedek. Uh, which means righteousness. It's also a term used for the Messiah, the righteous one. So in September of 3 BC, Jupiter came into conjunction with Regulus, the star of kingship. Does this begin to sound amazing? So you got the kingly planet uh, aligning with the kingly star, it is the brightest star, Regulus, in the constellation of Leo the Lion. Constellation of kings. It was associated with the Lion of Judah. So you've got the royal planet Jupiter approaching the royal star Regulus in the royal constellation Leo. That's not all. Just a month earlier, Jupiter and Venus had almost seemed to touch one another in another close conjunction, also in the constellation of Leo. And then the con conjunction between Jupiter and Regulus was repeated not once but twice in February and May of 2 B.C. And finally, in June of 2 B.C., Jupiter and Venus, the two brightest objects in the sky, except for the sun and the moon, experienced an even closer encounter when the two of them seemed to touch. Now, this spectacle was so exceptionally rare that the Magi couldn't have missed it. In fact, what happened in that time frame was a whole series of planetary motions and conjunctions full of astrological meaning, involving all the other planets known at that time as well, which would be Mercury, Mars, and Saturn. You put it all together, and you've got something the Magi are paying very close attention to. 
something's going on. September 11 of 3 BC is maybe the most interesting date of all. Jupiter, very close to Regulus in the first of their conjunctions, and the sun was in the const constellation of Virgo, the Virgin. Together with the new moon in a configuration that fits the description of Revelation chapter 12. And that tells of the birth of a male child who is to be the ruler of the universe. That same date, September 11, 3 BC, also marked the beginning of the Jewish New Year, traditionally regarded as the anniversary of Noah's landing after the Great Flood. Interestingly, scholars writing in the first and second centuries AD asserted that Jesus was born between what we now call 4 BC and 1 BC, and probably in the fall of the year. September 11 of 3 BC would fit that very well. It may be that it was then that the Magi saw the star that Matthew mentions here in verse 2 and begin to make their plans to follow its lead. That star didn't take them straight to Bethlehem, but it did give them enough information to go to Jerusalem, the capital of the Jewish nation, and there in Jerusalem, they would inquire of Herod, who was at that time king of the Jews. And he was upset, verse 3 tells us, to hear of someone who was born king of the Jews because he was only appointed king of the Jews. And it tells us that all Jerusalem was upset along with him because of what he might just do having heard about this one born king of the Jews. Herod's advisors told him that, and the Magi that the child was to be born in Bethlehem. And so they headed in that direction and saw the star once again, this time stopping over the place where the child was, verse 9, that is the town of Bethlehem. Now, how can it be that the star stopped over Bethlehem. Stars and planets don't stop, right? They just keep on in their, in their uh, courses. Well, at times, they can appear to stop. The problem is, we are moving, and uh, so is uh, the other planet we may be looking at. Jupiter, for instance, in this case. So the first time we look at it, it seems from our perspective to be moving from west to east. But if you take a few different looks at it over time, it will seem to reverse course. Astronomers call that a retrograde loop. You can see it at the top of the slide there. So if you take a time-lapse picture of Mars from Earth, it looks like this. And when the text says that the star of Bethlehem stopped over Bethlehem, it would seem to be referring to what we now call a planet's stationary point, the beginning of that retrograde loop, switching from west to east to east to west. 
Now, this week I found a, a video that kind of captures it. It was uh, a video projecting what it would look like to track uh, the planet Mercury. Okay, so not Jupiter, not Mars, but, but Mercury. But uh, it gets the idea across. Just take a few seconds to, to look at this. So you've got the inner circle is Mercury's path. The outer circle is the Earth. And so we're tracking it. Aha, look at that. It seems to be going backwards. And then it picks up again. Can you see uh, Mercury going around the sun? When it gets to this point here, uh, look at that. Yeah, it seems to go the other way. And, uh, and it continues to do that. So looking at Earth and Mercury, when Mercury gets to that point in its orbit, it seems to go back the other way. Fascinating. Uh, in, in fact, one, one fun fact I'll share with you, the word planet comes from a Greek word that means to wander. And it, it would seem that the planets would, would wander through the heavens. Um, and sometimes you can, you can get that experience in driving. If you're ever driving around a curve, for instance, and you're looking at uh, a telephone pole near you and a building far away from you, it, it seems like they're, they're switching places. It's, it's an interesting thing to observe. So what is it then that the Magi would have seen? They'd have seen this, this cluster of heavenly bodies, this conjunction of, of Jupiter and Regula, Regulus. They'd see it appear to stop at a particular point in the sky. And we know for sure that Jupiter performed a retrograde loop in 2 BC, and it appeared stationary on, get this, December 25th. How about that? So maybe our Christmas day has more to do with when the Magi found Jesus than when he was actually born. Now, that's, that's an interesting science lesson, but what does it mean for all of us? Let me just share a couple of implications this morning. And the first is this, God is interested in reaching everyone. He's interested in reaching everyone. He gave the Old Testament to the Jews to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. But he didn't leave the rest of creation without witness. In Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's a testimony there for all of creation to see. He gave signs in the heavens that would attract people from outside his covenant people to find the one who would be the savior of the whole world. He's not willing that anyone should perish. What's that say about your neighbor? You know, the one who watches you going to church and youth group or or growth group or service projects and concludes you're crazy for how you choose to spend your time. Is God interested in reaching that person? What's it say about the person at work who's very different from you? How much more different could you get than a Persian astrologer? What's it say about the people our missionaries are trying to reach? God is not willing that any should perish. Jesus came for all the world. God is interested in reaching everyone. 
And the second implication is this. God has been interested in reaching everyone since before creation. That's what's mind-boggling to me. In God's sovereign power, he laid out the planets and the stars in such a way that at the time of the birth of his son, the Redeemer, they would be aligned precisely as he wanted them to be. That means that before God created the universe, he already knew there would be a need to redeem the universe. Let that sink in. Before God created the universe, he knew there would be a need to redeem it. Wonder of wonders, he created it anyway. Why? Why create something that's going to cause you so much pain? To share the wonder of who he is. We get to experience the wonder of a relationship with him because of that. We get to experience the wonder of all that God is because of that. Knowing him, seeing his glory, it's the most wonderful thing that we could ever experience. And a universe that demonstrates his glory is infinitely better than not having a universe at all. Even though not having a universe would be infinitely less painful for God himself. Don't miss the point. God's arrangement of stars and planets on the fourth day of creation set things in motion that would one day guide astronomers to the place where the Savior of the world would be born. And he set all that in motion before he created humankind. What that means is that before we had a need, he planned the solution to our need. Before creation, he planned for our redemption. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, speaks of the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That's Jesus. The lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. What had been planned in eternity past, what was set in motion in the creation of the stars, was enacted in a stable in Bethlehem and ultimately on a hill outside of Jerusalem where Jesus paid the price for your sin and mine. And at Christmas time, we celebrate what God has provided. So let the wonder of when he planned it fill you this morning and this Christmas season. And if you haven't received him as your Savior and Lord, don't overlook the one who planned for your redemption before the first man and woman were even created. Respond to him today. Light that leads. Have you allowed that light to lead you to the manger? Have you allowed that light to lead you to the cross?
the one who could arrange all of that, the one who guided the Magi to the manger, can be trusted to guide your life. Before he created you, he had plans to redeem you. And if you'll trust him, he'll fulfill his purpose for you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. This morning, as we thought about what the Magi saw, the heavens have declared that God planned for your redemption and mine before he ever created the universe. The holy Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world for you and me. That's good news worth thinking about. That's good news worth acting on. That's good news worth sharing. You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. I hope that you'll be able to make use of those this week and begin to uh, take these truths and, and apply them in our lives. Would you pray with me? What a wonder, Father, that before you even created humankind, you planned for humankind's redemption. That you set in motion on the fourth day of creation signs in the heavens that would one day guide a bunch of pagans to the place where Jesus was born. And so, Father, let us just marvel at you, at your wisdom, at your sovereignty, and let us submit our lives to you. Father, I pray that uh, we would all stand in awe of who you are. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that just needs to say, Lord, I, I want to respond to what you have done for me. You sent my Savior before you created me. What a wonderful provision. I want to put my trust in that one who came, who gave his life for me. Would you live in me and let me serve you with my whole heart? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.